0: We're going to do the first 20 verses here of Acts chapter 19, and I think it's important because there's a lot of unusual passages in this passage, there really are, and it's easy to get distracted on those unusual passages and kind of do the whole wonder why they're here. Let's get our focus. What's the focus? The focus is verse 20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, and also verse 17. That in Ephesus, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's the focus right there, is to see the word of the Lord grow mightily and prevail, and in verse 17, to see the name of Jesus magnified. Let's just be honest. In our normal day-to-day routine, we are not worried about seeing the word of God mightily prevail, and we're not too worried about seeing the name of Jesus magnified. We're a very selfish group of people. We think mostly about ourselves, our day-in and day-out routine. Part of being a Christian is, means to be Christ-like. That's what the term Christian means, a follower of Christ. So as a follower of Christ, I need to change my mindset on what's important to me on a day-in, day-out basis. Let's say I had the best day at work. I came home and it was the best meal ever prepared. It was The house was in perfect shape. Everything was perfectly wonderful. It was the greatest day ever, but yet nothing for eternity was impacted. Let's go to the next day. You come home, everything is completely awful. Completely off the Worst day you've ever had at work. Everything has just fallen apart at home. But yet you had an opportunity to share Christ with somebody. What's a more successful day? It's day two. We don't think that way. We all struggle with that. We come home. How was work? It was a good day. It was a bad day. We judge so much on based what happened throughout the day that has no eternal value or perspective. What we have here in Acts 19 is some reminder verses. What matters most is verse 20. Is that the word of the Lord grow mightily and prevail. And verse 17. The name of Jesus be magnified. That's what matters. Think about how many times you got upset at something this week that had nothing to do with the name of Jesus being magnified or the word of God growing mightily and prevailing. We've got to be careful we don't get caught up in the things of the world. Now, for those two things to happen, how do we get to that point? But we have here in Acts 19, there's four things we're going to talk about this morning that tells us how to reach that point of seeing the word of God grow mightily in the name of Jesus prevailing. The first one you see is found in verse uh, 1. It's about the Holy Spirit, Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he said to him, We have not as much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on the Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Now, we could get into a debate here on whether these guys were saved or not saved. Some people say, well, they were called disciples, so obviously they were saved. Other people come back and say, well, they only had John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, waiting for the Messiah. They didn't know who Christ was. We could go back and forth. The real key here, though, is that they ended up knowing exactly who Jesus was. In verse 6, they also became full of the Spirit. That's the focus. And that's what we need to focus on here, because this is really our first point, is if we want to see the Lord grow mightily in your life, if we want to see the name of Jesus magnified, you have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Depending on how you were raised and maybe what denomination you came out of or how you were churched or maybe unchurched, the Holy Spirit carries a very unique role in your life. Some people are very open to talking about the Holy Spirit. Maybe they came out of, I don't know, an assemblies background or Pentecostal background. And they're very open about talking about who the Holy Spirit is. There's some that came out of a very maybe mainline fundamental background. And the Holy Spirit always makes them a little bit nervous. You know, we understand he's God. We understand he's part of the Trinity. But we really don't understand what his role is. And if you don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit, you're really missing out. Can you go with me to John 14? I just want to share a few verses here. Because it's important for us to understand the Holy Spirit's role in our life. Because here's the thing. I've seen this. You can get saved. Because when you get saved, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. You can choose to accept Christ as your Savior, get saved, Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and then never tap into that again. And you walk around knowing the truth of salvation, but you walk around in a dryness. And you see these other believers... Kind of crazy for the Lord and that part of you actually looks forward to them and likes them. The other part of you is kind of bothered by them because they have something that you don't have. You know Jesus. You know the truth of the resurrection. You believe in the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you, but you have chosen not to tap into that resource. You are quite capable of living a godly life on your own without fully knowing who the Holy Spirit is. But the problem is it's going to be a mediocre godly life. If you really want everything that God has in store for you, then you have to have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Think about this for one second. God chose to live inside of you. If you are born again and saved here today, the Lord has chosen to take up residence in you. The Bible says that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in one way, that's amazing and that's exciting. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you have the presence of God in you to lead you, guide you, empower you, etc. On one hand, it's completely scary. Every thought you have, he knows. Every action you do behind closed doors, he knows. Everything you try to hide, he knows. Every word you speak, and anger, and lust, and what have you, he knows. That's kind of convicting in some ways. But it's also encouraging to know when you're going through a difficult time, the presence of God is with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Let's find this out. John 14, let's go right to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the first thing you see is the Holy Spirit, your Helper. Now I know certain guys that like to work solo. They, they, they need help. They need help desperately. Maybe it's a physical job. They need help. They can't lift it. They can't do it. And they got this kind of grunt groan, I'll figure it out myself. Same thing happens spiritually. They need help. There's guys and gals that need a lot of help. But they're going to grunt and groan through life and figure it out themselves. Why? The Holy Spirit is your helper, verse 26. Just ask yourself this. Are you successful in life right now? When I say successful, I don't mean the world standards. I'm saying spiritually successful. Are you everything you can be as a husband, as a father, as a man of God? Are you everything you can be as a woman of God, as a wife, as a mom, whatever role you're in? If not, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why he is there. What does he do? Verse 26, he teaches you and brings to your remembrance the things that Jesus said. He helps you. Anytime someone calls me and they call and they say, hey, pastor, i got a question for you. No matter what it is, I have no idea what they're going to ask. They may be asking a building use. They may be asking um, something along the lines of a theological question. I don't know. I say a little quick three-word prayer. Lord wisdom, please. Because I have no idea. And I need, verse 26, I need the Lord to teach me and bring to remembrance all the things I've said. I have read a lot of Bible verses in my day. I don't remember a lot of them. People come up to me all the time and it's like, you know, I read this passage and five minutes later I forget it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why it's so important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit, to bring to your remembrance all the things I said. I was doing devotions yesterday. I got done reading them. And I thought, wow, good devotions. Prayed through it. Prayed for the people that kind of popped up about it as I was thinking about it. And about five minutes later, I was sitting there at the kitchen table thinking, I don't even remember what I read. I actually got the books out to kind of remind myself. As human natures, we have so much tendency just to forget things. We really do. That's why it's so important to realize the role of the Holy Spirit is to say, Lord, before I get into this time in the Word with you, I'm going to pray that you'll teach me. I'm going to pray that you'll help me to remember it. And then when I'm out throughout my work week, what have you, you're going to bring to remembrance these things. And it's amazing when you're talking to someone, these scriptures pop up, these points pop up, and as you're saying this stuff, you're like, how do I know this? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He brings those things to remembrance. Once again, you can do it on your own. But why? Why? That's what the role of the Holy Spirit is. That's the first one. He teaches us. He brings things to remember. What else does He do? Go to John 15 now, next chapter, verse 26. Verse 26 of John 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Two things the Holy Spirit does here. First one is He helps you witness. He helps you share. I mean, seriously, that's one of the scariest things in Christianity. Pastors will stand up here and say, You need to go tell people about Jesus. That's like the scariest thing to do. What do I say? How do I say it? When do I do it? The Holy Spirit will help you testify of Christ. I think it's so important before you go to anything to stop and pray, Lord, bring people into my life so I can share. And as you bring people into my life, give me the strength to do it. Give me the wisdom to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even if to say anything at all. Help me. And you know what happens? Verse 26 He's the Spirit of truth. That is so vital. Spirit of truth. There is so much junk out there in the world today. People on TV, people on the radio, they stand up there, they quote a few verses, they take it out of context, and there is no truth to it. The Holy Spirit is a filter that allows you to know whether that is truth or not truth. Does that line up with the Bible or does it not line up with the Bible? Because there is so much junk out there. People can take these verses and all of a sudden start twisting them. And next thing you know, it sure sounds good. Sounds like truth. That quoted a few verses. The spirit of truth is the filter that lets you know whether this is good or bad. That's what he does. Remember a few years ago in May where the guy said the rapture was going to happen? I, I always use this example is, you know, that he came and said he had a certain day, hour, and everything like that. And so it was really making a big stir. Is the rapture really going to happen? And anytime someone came up to me, I always said, remember what the Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour. So if someone comes up to me and says they know the day or the hour, Something's not right. If the Bible tells me that no one knows the day or the hour, and somebody's telling me they know the day and the hour, either the Bible's wrong or the Bible is right. The Holy Spirit is a Spirit of truth. He shows me what's right. Everything goes through the filter of the Holy Spirit. And the thing, though, is people take this and run with it, don't they? Someone gave me this article years ago, and I wanted to share this. This is from uh, May 15th of 2011. What, there, what it is was this guy... And this guy was an atheist. This is right before the rapture was supposed to happen. He comes around and says, he's an atheist, proudly so. He knows that plenty of people believe in God and do believe in heaven. And some of them believe that the rapture is going to be happening here soon. So what this atheist did, he came up with this business idea. That you would sign up with him and that when the rapture happened, within 24 hours he would come to your house and take care of your pet. And here's an article about this. So he promises within 24 hours he will come. He will take care of your uh, horse, camel, llama, and donkeys. Excuse me, sorry. Horses, camels, llamas, and donkeys are only limited to New Hampshire, Vermont, Idaho, and Montana. So I just want to let you know that. But 24 hours to take care of your dog, cat, bird, rabbit, small-caged animal, and he would adopt it. He had a group of people set up that when the rapture happened, within 24 hours they'd be to your house. Now this only cost $135. 135 bucks. Here's an atheist that says, "Hey, you think the rapture is happening, and you think that uh, your little sweet Fido is going to be left alone? 135 bucks. I'll be within your house within 24 hours and take care of it. At the time of this writing, over 250 people had signed up for it. 250 people. Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. As Christians, we should know this. So when somebody shows up at your door and wants to tell you that Jesus," Is the first created being. No, the Spirit of Truth shows me he's not. When somebody shows up at your door and says, you know what, actually Lucifer and Jesus were brothers at one time. No, no, he wasn't. When somebody tries to tell me that Jesus actually married Mary, no, he didn't. The Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit shows us these things. But unless you tap into that, you get caught with every wave and wind of doctrine. So important to know that, so the first thing is the Holy Spirit teaches us, brings to us remembrance. The second one the Holy Spirit helps us witness, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. last one, verse 13 of Acts, excuse me, verse 13 of John 16. However, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I don't know how many times I see people that claim to be Christians making huge life decisions without even a resemblance of what does the Lord want me to do. And if you talk to them about it, they'll say something like, well, I prayed about it and I don't know. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. They make huge purchases of vehicles and houses and toys. Did the Lord lead you? Well, at the moment I had peace. I've had peace at certain moments too, followed by a whole lot of conviction. The Holy Spirit guides you. Unless you tap into the Holy Spirit, you're going to be tossed to and fro by your desires. This sounds good. I'm going to go do this. No, now I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go buy this. No, now we're going to move here. Now I'm changing this job. Is this the Spirit leading you or is this you? Unless you tap into the Spirit, He's not going to guide you. And what else does the Spirit do? He glorifies Jesus. Anytime I see a ministry that wants to focus on the Holy Spirit, I think, that's not biblical. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to point People towards Christ. That's his role. Now, putting this all together, the Holy Spirit teaches you, guides you, leads you, empowers you, helps you to witness. Boy, do we want that. See, Acts 19, that's what they needed. That's what Paul gave them. That's our first step. Our first step towards really being who we're called to be as men and women of God is understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then what happens, Acts 1, eight, power comes onto you from on high. So important. So what happens then after the role of the Holy Spirit here? Well, let's continue our study in Acts 19. Let's go to verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Our next step is our word that we've been talking about now for about six months out here, discipleship. Discipleship, getting involved in other believers' lives and saying, I want you to help me grow deeper in Christ and I want to help you grow deeper in Christ. This is what Paul did when he was not working with the tents. He would go teach at this school, discipling them. Discipling them. That word there for disciple, excuse me, that word for reasoning daily in verse 9, means to talk about it. See, so often when we think of discipleship, we think of, hey, let's get together, and I'm going to line you up in chairs, and I'm going to talk to you for 45 minutes. And then you're going to leave. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, let's just get together and talk about Jesus. How can I help you? What can I pray for you today about? Hey, what can you, can you pray for me this way? Hey, I found this scripture, and I think it's really good. What did you find out this week? That's discipleship. And that's something we try to do. I try to send texts out to people out the week and say, Hey, read this verse, thought of you praying for you. Hey, can you pray for me? That's a discipleship role. This is what Paul did. Why don't we do that? I mean, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing according to the New Testament. But yet, we have come to the conclusion that the 21st century church is, You come on a Sunday, I stand up here, I teach, you leave, and I'll see you again in seven days. And that we're supposed to, as the staff, take care of all the spiritual matters of the church. No, the church is supposed to be there for each other. You guys building relationships with each other. I had something pop up this week where I had a guy that uh, pops out here sporadically and he needed you know, some encouragement. Well, there's another guy in the same town where he lives. I said, hey, why don't you guys hook up? Hook them up and next thing you know, now they're going to start talking to each other. Hopefully discipling each other. Hopefully encouraging each other. That's the way the system's supposed to work. But why don't we do that First off, let's just get all the excuses out of the way. first excuse is always time. I'm busy. Work's busy. Life's busy. Kid's busy. Yep. How many times have we said this out here? Don't let life get in the way of living. We allow life to get in the way of living. If I truly believe that I'm here to glorify Jesus Christ, then I make that the priority and everything else falls into place. Number two, why don't I do it? Well, it's uncomfortable. I mean, I'm a guy. I don't sit across from another guy at a restaurant and say, this is what I'm struggling with. You know what a real man does? He puts on a fake face and says everything's fine. That's what he does. That's a real man. A real man shows up and says, I'm good. You're the one having problems. How can I help you? First off, that's deceit. Second off, that's lie. Third off, that's sin. We need to be in openness. An openness. And you see this in discipling. And the third point, why don't we do this? We just don't see the value of it. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody whose life is falling apart. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You're doing fine. You're telling me right now the way your life is going is the description biblically of fine. I find that hard to believe. Not that I'm any better, but I know what's going on. That's not fine. We need to open this up. You see, Paul, he was willing to do this, verse 10, for two years. First point. Understand the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Second point, understand the importance of discipleship. Not just gaining a head knowledge of God, but a practical knowledge and growing of how to be a better believer. All of us are involved with that. Remember our verse that we say out here all the time. Go therefore and make disciples. Now, our third point. After you understand the role of the Holy Spirit, after you understand discipleship, third point, prepare to be amazed. Look what happens. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the entrant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Once again, this is why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. I don't know how you make a topical out of that passage. You know, that's just a tough one. So let's just break this down. First thing you see in verse 11, God worked unusual miracles. Some of your translations may say special, may say extraordinary. Now think about this. A miracle in and of itself is unusual. A miracle means no explanation about other than God. Dead come to life. How is that possible? God. Moses parting the Red Sea. How is that possible? God. So if God says that there is now something even unusual happening, this is a whole other level. A whole other level of what was going on. And what was going on, verse 12, the handkerchiefs of Paul were brought to the sick and they were healed. That word for handkerchiefs, if we were going to translate into an everyday word today, we'd call it sweatbands. What they were is these pieces of apron or, or cloth. He would tie around his head while making tents. He'd maybe put them on his wrist. And then what was happening, it looks like, is as he was done with work, you know, he didn't need the sweaty piece of cloth. People were picking those up and taking that. It doesn't look like Paul was necessarily doing this, because look, verse 11, God worked these things. God worked these things. Now, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Now, this is what happens when you hear that. Some of us hear that and say, well, that was great 2,000 years ago. Here's the problem. We have a tendency to put God in a box, don't we? We have this idea that everybody can be saved. Every marriage can be healed. Every person can come to know Christ except for him. I mean, you know him. I mean, we all have one of those guys. We all know one of those marriages. We all know one of those people that they're so far beyond the grace of God. God is in the business of doing unusual things, special things, extraordinary things. Does this mean the Lord can still do this today? I'm not going to say no to anything the Lord wants to do. Now, I have to be honest, I've seen this taken the wrong way, though. I remember one time watching a message and a pastor got up on stage and I wish I could go find the clip, be it YouTube or something. He took, um, he took a handkerchief that he had and he was preaching and he wiped the sweat from preaching. Then he lined up all these people in a row, took the handkerchief and sprayed them. With his sweat, and they all fell like dominoes. Bring up another group, wipe the sweat, and just almost like a sprinkler system, sprayed them, and they all fall down. Then it got to the next level where there was people a little bit farther away. He would take his sweat and pretend to throw a pitch at them, like in baseball, almost like calling a shot. He would point them out and then throw, pretend, hit them, fall back. Now, I walked away from that thinking I really don't think Jesus was glorified. I think the man was glorified. So, sometimes we see these things taken and twisted to things where it shouldn't be. What did we just read about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is there to point you towards Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He's here to glorify Him. We need to make sure that everything we do is to the glory of God. So, let's not put this in a box. God can do what He wants. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Isaiah 55 says this, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There's been many times out here where I really wanted the Lord to move, and I wanted Him to move my way. And God says, as far as I know, I'm not asking your advice. You know, It's His way, not our way. It's His Spirit, not us. You know, Romans 11, Paul says that the ways of the Lord are unsearchable. Unsearchable. So when I see things like this, it is unusual. It is special. It is extraordinary. And that's kind of what the business that God is in. Now I'll go to the next step here, though. You have these guys that are going around casting out demons. Now we don't know their heart. Maybe they really were just good guys that said, Hey, I want to do this. More likely, they were probably in it for a buck. You know, this guy here, Skeebuk, verse 14, his name literally means mind reader. I think that carries a little bit of an idea that there was something going on behind the scenes. So these guys show up. Verse 13, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now I find verse 15 fascinating. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Now, I want to ask a very open-ended question here, and it's really one of those just to ponder, not answer. Does the enemy know who you are? I mean, is he even concerned about you? I mean, is he ever sitting there saying, wow, James is a threat? You know, you stop me and think about that. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Sometimes I wonder, are we ever doing enough to inflict any damage on the enemy? I mean, we ultimately know what happens in the end. We know Christ returns. We know Jesus takes care of everything. But I wonder, and I think, Lord... You know, here we are, and fill yourself in with whatever situation you are in life. You're going to get up, you're going to go to work, you're going to probably work at least 40 hours this week, if not 50, if not more. You're going to have how many hundreds of people are you going to run into? Am I making a difference? Or am I just kind of in this rut? I get up, I go, I do it, I come home. I get up, I go, I do it, I come home. Just this constant repeat. It goes back to that phrase we keep saying life gets in the way of living. I mean, your your day is full. There's no doubt about that. You got stuff with the spouse. You got stuff with the kids. You got stuff with the grandkids. You got stuff with your friends. You got stuff that has to happen at home. Your life is not an emptiness. But are we really impacting anything beyond this existence in this world? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? I mean, don't you kind of want Satan to have a staff meeting and say, I'm concerned about what James is doing? You know, you may be saying, no, I read the book of Job. I don't want that. But the point is, I think so often we just do our thing and we kind of expect God to just go in the flow with what we're doing. Listen, I know when I say this, some of you are already asleep. Some of you don't care. Some of you are counting down the time you want to go. Some of you are paying attention. I know, I get that. I've done this long enough but it really comes down to this. Do you honestly want your life to be the same as it is right now or are you ready for a change? I mean, don't you get sick and tired of mediocrity. I've really had this point spiritually where I stopped and I said, boy, Lord, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I've been teaching out here for 17 years. It's the third time I've taught through the book of Acts. Lord, it needs to be different. Come comes so common, it comes so normal. I don't want that anymore. If I really believe Jesus is returning, if I really believe that I could die at any moment, then why in the world am I worried about the things of this world? Why am I arguing with Dawn over silly things? Why am I getting upset with the boys about stupid stuff? Why do I let certain situations out here at church that have no eternal matter dictate my life anymore? If I am here to see Jesus magnified and the word of the Lord grow and multiply, then that is my focus. If that is not my focus, then I am completely, utterly wrong. And what I see here in Acts 19, I see the Holy Spirit, I see discipleship, I see prepared to be amazed. And the last point that I see, starting here in verse uh, 18, many of those who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. First point, Holy Spirit. Second point, discipleship. Third point, prepared to be amazed. Fourth point, verse 18, confession. What am I doing wrong, Lord? problem with confession is we have our English translation of confession. My boys get into a fight. One boy hits the other boy. Did you hit your brother? I confess to you, I hit my brother. I admit I hit my brother. He confessed. You know what the biblical definition of confession is? The biblical definition of confession means to literally draw a line in the sand Go on the other side, look at it from that person's perspective and say, I agree with you that that action is wrong. So when I say, now, I confess to you I did this, it really means I'm admitting I did it. From a biblical definition, I confess to you I did this means, Lord, I agree with you that that action is sin. There's a big difference there. Because I run into people all the time, I confess to you I'm not a good husband. Okay, do you agree with God that you're a sinful, awful person? Well, have you seen her? This is what we do. I confess to you. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. I confess to you. So you agree with God that that action is sinful and wrong, and the result of that action should be punishment in hell. Well, I didn't say that. Then you made up your own definition of confession. To confess means to admit and agree with God that that action is wrong and sinful, and I never want to do it again, hence the term repent, do a 180. We are very good at admitting we're sinners, Some of us are very good at actually making a list of sin. Are we good at confessing? They were confessing, getting together, burning this stuff. You know, Depending on how much you value the piece of silver, it's anywhere from a million to several million dollars, verse 19, that they got rid of. We used to do this. We had a Bible study that used to meet in our house on Fridays. We used to be involved with the Campus Crusade over at Northwest. And we had a couple of these. We'd get together and we called them refiner's fires. We'd have this big fire going... And we'd have a time of teaching, and we had a time of worship, and then at the end, people would bring their items and literally throw them in the fire. People are coming and bringing them in pornography, they're bringing in music that they weren't, shouldn't have been listening to, and maybe they didn't have something that was physical. We'd have pieces of paper where you could write things out. Bitterness, anger, lust. Throw it in the fire. Burn it up. I mentioned that at the 830 service, and someone said, we should do that, so maybe we will do that. Get together, have a teaching on this, have worship. Let's burn this stuff. You know what I've noticed? High schoolers are really good at refiner's fires. They are. You know, when we did I was probably 19, we just got married, maybe 20. And there was a lot of college kids. Boy, it was really good. Spirit was really moving. A lot of crying, a lot of weeping, a lot of emotion. Not in a bad way, but a lot of, I want things to be different. I don't know where it happens, but sometime from being a high schooler that's willing to be open and honest and say, I'm struggling, we become an adult that says, I'm not allowed to admit I have problems. And I'm going to come into this church every Sunday and you will never know what happens in my life Monday through Friday. And I will sure make myself sound good. Isn't it time for that to be done? It's time to realize what the early church was supposed to be doing, confessing, telling their deeds. This is not confession like, now go do this. This is, I want the spiritual encouragement of the body of Christ to come help me go deeper in my walk in relationship with Christ because where I'm at right now is not where God wants me to be. That's openness. That's honesty. And you know what? That's humbling. It's tough to do. It's very difficult to do. And I remember at a pastor's conference one time, sweet pastors conference there's this, this gal there and I remember her saying and it hit me and I never forgot it she goes as pastors we care more about their spiritual life than they do boy that's the truth I'm not trying to elevate myself don't take it that way for some of you this week I was fasting over you and praying over you and crying over you and you didn't even know and that's fine I don't mean it that way but I'm more bothered about your spiritual condition than you are God love you. But I tell you this, we have to look at this and say, you know what? Is the Holy Spirit number one in my life? Am I discipling or being discipled? Am I prepared to be amazed? And am I willing to say, I'm wrong. I'm confessing these things, Lord. Things need to change. This is what it is. This is why I wanted to finish with communion today. Because go with me, if you will, real quick to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, a lot of times when we talk about communion, we always look at the first few verses there, 23 through 26. We jump down to verse 27 when we talk about communion. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. See, part of communion is a time of self-examination. It's to stop and say, Lord, I'm confessing to you what I'm doing wrong. It's not a time to say, hey, let's kick at you while you're down. That's never the intention. It's a time to say, things need to change. I don't know how many times I've done counseling with people, and we sit down, we talk about verses, we talk about passages, we talk about things that aren't working. We walk away, and they continue down the same path. And I started realizing, they don't think they need to change. They think that that's okay. And you know what? I do the same thing Sometimes. I look at the spiritual mirror of life and I say, I'm not bad. I mean, there's some areas I need to work on, but overall, you know, I give myself a passing grade. And so what happens is these areas of, of sin and problems, we know they exist, we know they're there. We just keep pushing them back in the closet. It's time to get it out, examine it, realize it's destructive, and say, I'm done with this. That's a humbling thing. That's a hard thing. But at the same time, that's the greatest thing that we could do. Once again, you could go home today and have the most productive afternoon you've ever had. You could get everything done at home. You could have the greatest time with your wife, your kids, your husband, your family, friends. I don't know where you're at. Whatever it is, it could be great. You could have a great week. But unless we're impacting things for eternity, does it it really matter? Let's get the focus to where it needs to be. I think back to Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what matters more than anything. So what we're going to do today... The close is this. Uh, Glenn, if you want to come forward here to do the uh, worship for communion. Uh, Pastor Rich is actually